Welcome to Peak City Church. We pray that this message fills you with hope and encourages you wherever you are. Also, follow us on social media at Peak City Co. to stay connected with us. Be blessed. Oh, good morning to you guys. My name is Derek. Uh, I'm one of the pastors on staff. Happy Father's Day. Uh, last hour, all four of my kiddos were front row, Bliss, Clive, Abe, and Rosie. They're not here right now because I told them to go leave and make me lunch. Um, <laughs> dads, let's get you revved up. Uh, at home right now, I'm slow cooking some ribs for lunch, all right? Uh, we got wings that are happening. All right, homemade wings. We need vegetables, so uh, we were making potato skins at my house. Um, little bit of potato, mostly just cheese, sour cream, and bacon, which is awesome. And then we're gonna round out the day with some Prilosec. So I am, I am pumped for Father's Day today. It's gonna be an awesome day, but, uh, but man, it's not just Father, Father's Day today. Today is June 19th, also known as Juneteenth. So we wanna celebrate that too. If, um, man, if you don't know, it's an important day. It's an important day. We celebrate uh, the emancipation of slaves here in the United States. And that is an ugly piece, if not one of the ugliest pieces of our nation's history. And there's still ramifications. Uh, today's we deal with the wickedness of, of, of racism. And man, it makes me sad. Um, but I also know that our God is a God of freedom. Galatians 5 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And that, that is about spiritual freedom, yes, but God loves freedom in our country. And I know I have lived in a bubble at times and didn't know about things like Juneteenth. Uh, we intentionally moved on a side of town has a lot of black and brown people. And last year, this same day, they were shooting fireworks off and I celebrated with them and went, man, I don't think I understand how important this day is to some people in our country. So we wanna celebrate it as a church. Uh, if you don't know what Juneteenth is and if you're sitting here going, what, what is that? Go home and do some research. I think it's important that we know about it because heaven's gonna be a very diverse place. It's gonna be a wild scene when we get up there and I think we need to be ready for it here on earth, and we are in a church that wants to celebrate diversity as well. So happy Juneteenth to you guys. Let's celebrate that again. And I, I tell you what, it, it, it blows my mind what God does because we're plugging along in the book of Acts today, all right? We started in Acts chapter one and last week, Petey talked about Acts chapter seven. So today I'm just grabbing hold of Acts chapter eight and it is unbelievably relevant to Juneteenth, all right? Today is not a message about race, but good gracious, it is certainly a part of it. And today is a message about people that are different than you, people that are different from me. In fact, we've been talking about the movement, the movement of the book of Acts, what the church did after Christ ascended up to heaven. And today we're gonna to talk about the title of this message is The Movement Bursts Your Bubble. The movement bursts your bubble, all right? We like to build this protective bubble around us. And if you're gonna be a part of this movement, it will burst that bubble. So today it is not about race, but daggone it, it is certainly a piece of it. Today is not about sexual identity, but woo, sexual identity is a big part of bursting bubbles. 
Today is not about politics. Today is not about gun control. Today isn't about your opinions on vaccinations or COVID, but good gracious, that is a huge part of what we're gonna talk about today because all these different things can burst your bubble. And I'm gonna tell you, the biggest thing that will burst your bubble is being a part of this movement of Jesus. So let's dig in. Let's get into this scripture. I love, we're in Acts chapter eight. This is one of those scriptures. It's easy to read the Bible. If you're new, have never read the Bible, I'm gonna, I'm gonna relate to you. It's easy to read the Bible sometimes and go, man, I just can't relate to that, all right? They're on donkeys and they're in sandals and dirt roads and I don't get them and I don't think they would get me. This is one of those passages though that I think I, think I can relate to really, really well. Let me, let me kind of set it up this way by telling you a couple of stories. A couple of weeks ago, Petey and I are in the office, nobody else was here. A guy walks in the building and he's in the lobby. Young guy, African-American guy, good looking kid. And he said, hey, I'm looking for somebody on your staff. I met a while back, but I can't remember his name. And, and he said, he's a, a tall black guy on staff. And we're like, man, we've, we don't have any black guys on staff. We're like, we have Joseph. Joseph is Mexican, he's a brown person but he got dis disqualified with that tall line, right? Like, I mean, we know Joseph, love Joseph, but who, who would describe him as tall? So we, we started asking questions and we're like, I, we, don't, we don't have any black guys on staff. And the guy was like, dude, you, you've got to know who I'm talking about. He's, he's got to be the biggest guy in your church. He's almost seven foot tall. And we were like, Taylor? And he said, yeah, Taylor, that's who, that's who I'm at. I'm like, Taylor's not black? But this, this guy thought Taylor was a black guy. And, and I'm like, like, Taylor's very much not black, okay? He drives a pickup truck. He, he loves Seinfeld. He knows all the word of Kenny Rogers Gambler. I mean, like he, he is a white dude, but this guy in his head just, he met Taylor and he just filed him away as like tall guy, black guy. He's a pastor at Peak City. And that's kind of that's what, he, what he does. Uh, the, there was a lady a couple weeks before that. No joke. I, I, I don't know why this story goes this way and Taylor's such a target for it. But this lady walks in and she said, I'm looking. Uh, I met with a pastor on staff, but I can't remember his name. She said he was a young guy. And I was like, oh, that's probably Clark. He's our student pastor. He's, he's the youngest one on staff. She goes, no, that wasn't his name. She said he had a beard. Oh, Petey. It was, it was Petey. So she said, no, no, that wasn't his name either. He was bald. And I was like, Taylor? And she said, yeah, that's his name, Taylor. I'm like, how did you not lead off with like, there's a pastor on staff who probably lives at the top of a beanstalk, all right? Like... <laughs> He's gigantic. But this lady, this lady met Taylor and she starts putting the files together. He's a young guy with a beard and he's bald. You know, that's, what, that's just what we do. We do that as humans. I mean, that, that's how we interact with one another. And I would say, I would say this, we meet, immediately meet people and, and we see people as what they are, not who they are. You know, it's tall lady, black guy, golf girl, super conservative, Facebook ranter, shirt tucker, guy with the dreads, the girl with the teeth, the high talker, the low talker, the two-face, the Seinfeld fan, the Friends fan, the Broncos fan, the snowboarder, the skier, the heavy guy, the skinny guy, the Star Wars geek, the Star Trek freak, the scrapbooker, the vegan, the crossfitter. I mean, there's all these different things. Like, that's how we interact. When we see you, we immediately think of what you are. I do it too. I do it out here in the lobby every Sunday. I'm meeting people and I'm, I'm just filing away all these cards. I get like hashtags and categories. That's how we interact with one another. It's just kind of surface level at a glance interactions. And before you think I'm, I'm, I'm gonna like get on you about that, I, I think that's human nature. 
Like, I think that's just what people do. I'm not hopping on a soapbox trying to make you feel guilty about it. I think that is just how we interact with one another. That's how we file the way, the, the world away. Like we just see them and put everything in categories. And that's exactly what we get in this scripture that I wanna open up with today. Acts chapter eight, if you got an app on your phone with a Bible, open it up and I'll tell you to highlight some of this, maybe even hop over to a notes app and take some notes today. Acts eight, verse 26, talks about a guy named Philip. Philip was one of the pastors doing the early church at the time. It says, as for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet of Isaiah. And I've always found this passage interesting. If you open up a Bible, like the title of this is Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. We don't even get his name. Like we don't even get this guy's name in scripture. He is nameless, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. You know why? Because I think Philip had categories just like you and me. All right, Philip had to leave, go tell somebody the story. The story got told and it got recorded in the book of Acts. And it's, and it's abnormal. I had, I had a coffee with a guy, my buddy Reagan, the other day. My, my wife came home, or I got home. My wife said, what'd you do today? I said, I got coffee with Reagan. I didn't say I, didn't say I had coffee with blonde, blue, blue, blue-eyed man from Vegas, all right? But for whatever reason... This is how Philip files away the Ethiopian eunuch, because I think he, he just operates like you and me. But I also think there are things in this story that we're supposed to pick up, up on without a name. And I think the things in the story that we pick up on without a name teach us about how we should interact with one another. So who was this man with no name? We know a few things about him just from what we've read already. First, he was Ethiopian. Back in this era, Ethiopian absolutely meant a, a geographical area. Um, it was in the Kushinic region, uh, which was like the horn of Africa. If you look at Africa, there's, there's like a horn on the side of it. What's cool, if you're a scripture junkie, you've been around church for a while, um, the, what, what they referred to as Ethiopia, they referred to it as the end of the earth because they thought after that, there's nothing. So you've heard the phrase, if you've read scripture a lot, the ends of the earth, the ends of the earth. It comes up a few times and they're like, this dude is from there. So yes, it was geographical, but, but beyond that, Ethiopian also meant skin tone. It was like to describe someone's skin and it didn't just mean skin tone, it meant very dark skin tone. They would say Ethiopian, kind of like how we say African-American. Like I have many African-American friends that never lived in Africa, aren't from Africa, but we use it as a reference to color of skin. And that's exactly, exactly how they use the term Ethiopian in the first century. So Ethiopian probably meant that he was very dark skinned. A lot of people a lot of people think that, um, that this guy, the Ethiopian eunuch, was the same guy we read about later. In Acts chapter 13, they make a reference to Simon the Black. And that literally meant very black, like black-skinned guy. Not, not like dark-skinned, not brown, but he was black-skinned. That's what Ethiopian meant. I don't think that they're the same person, personally. Um, this isn't Star Wars, like there's one black guy. This isn't the Lando Calrissian of, uh, of, of Acts. But, but I do think... I do think they're saying here that this guy had very dark skin. This guy had very dark skin. So Philip met up with an Ethiopian. Philip met up with a dark skin guy. Next thing we know is that he was a eunuch in the first century. 
Don't get too attached to anything I'm about to say here because we don't know what it meant. Because being a eunuch in the first century could mean many, many things. If you don't know what a eunuch is, if, if you're like a youngster in the crowd today, um, a eunuch is a castrated man. And if you um, don't know what castrated is, I just gave you a great Father's Day topic over lunch, all right? <laughs> um, a castrated male. That's what eunuch meant, which is a weird way to identify somebody, all right? Oh, that's the, the, the black guy that's been castrated? <laughs> like, that's, that's what we do right here in Scripture. And it could mean a lot of things. So um, first thing it could mean, it could mean he's a bad guy. I mean, castration was a form of pun- punishment. So, like, he could be a criminal. He could just be riffraff that uh, this was, he was, pu- uh, he, was, he was punished in this way, and that's why he was castrated. But maybe not. Um, another, another thing that we see in early first century, a lot of times eunuchs uh, were homosexuals. It was an identifier as uh, a gay person to be castrated. Um, I'm not saying that this guy in scripture was a homosexual. I'm, I'm not saying that. That's not what I'm saying. That, that's a possibility in that it, there is evidence that points to those things of what a eunuch means. I do think uh, this, last re- this, this last reason is, is, is the true reason why most likely he was castrated. Um, if you were a servant of the queen, so he was a servant of the Candake. It's like the Pharaoh of Ethiopia. Very, very, very wealthy. Very, very, I mean, it, it, they, they were all about the royal family. So if you were servant of the queen, if, and you were a male, they would often castrate you to protect that royal bloodline. So your job was so important and protecting that royal bloodline was so important that they would castrate you as a part of your job. And because we know he was a servant of the queen and very close to her, I think that's most likely what that meant. So him being a eunuch probably was part of his job. Listen, guys, I love my job, but if Petey ever tries to sneak that in... <laughs> I'll be sending out some resumes, all right? Uh, So we know he was black-skinned. We know he was a eunuch. We don't know why he was a eunuch, but we do know there's something in the sexual identity there because he was known as that. And the last thing we know is, this one's really straightforward. Uh, He was wealthy. Dude had money, all right? Uh, He was on his way back from Jerusalem, back to Ethiopia. Um, I just went on a road trip. We're complaining about gas prices and all that sort of thing. But man, back in the first century, you don't just hop in the car and zip up to Jerusalem for the day. I mean, you have to have means if you're gonna make a journey like this. Uh, The other thing was his job. I mean, if he is the treasurer to the Candake, that means he's making good money himself. So he was a wealthy dude. Oh, the other thing, he was in a carriage. He was, I mean, he was rolling in the Lexus of the time. Like in scripture, you, most all the journeys you read about in scripture are on foot. Every once in a while, you'll get a donkey and that's like the Ford Escort. But this guy is like in the full on Lexus. He's got a carriage, he's got a driver. There are horses pulling him and he's just sitting back in the air conditioning, chilling. I mean, this guy had money. So that's, that's what we know about him. Ethiopian eunuch who was wealthy. But let's read on in the story and see why I think that's relevant, at least. Acts chapter 8, 29 through 40. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk alongside the, beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I, unless someone instructs me? He urged Philip to come up into the carriage and to sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a shepherd to the slaughter. This is a prophecy that happened thousands of years before Jesus, but this was actually about Jesus. And the Ethiopian eunuch has no idea. 
He has no idea. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from earth. The eunuch asked Philip, he said, tell me, was this, it was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? I love Philip sees this chance here. So the beginning with the, so beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? Now, this is one of my favorite, favorite endings of the story in scripture. The dude hears about Jesus for the first time. He hears about baptism and he's just looking out the window of the carriage going, when are we gonna pass a lake or a pond or a river or a stream or an ocean? I'm in, I wanna do this. He ordered the carriage to stop And they went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up from the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. He disappeared. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Guys, this is what we do. This is the purpose of every single Sunday. But it ought to be the purpose of every single Monday through Saturday for you and for me too. We need to expose people to the freedom that Jesus offers them. We need to show them that this life that we have is so amazing. Following after Jesus is so fruitful and so joyful that people in our own lives, not just on Sunday mornings, let me bring you to church, but in our own lives, we cross those boundaries and let them know that and expose them to how much Jesus loves them too. You may or may not know, if you've not been to culture class, Quick commercial, you gotta go, it's awesome. Um, But we talk about our mission statement here. Help people discover Jesus and follow him fearlessly. Help people discover Jesus and follow him fearlessly. That is a one sentence line of that whole story that I just read you. Philip helped this guy discover Jesus and follow him fearlessly. And we've got to expose people. We've got to expose people for that. Here's where I wanna change gears a little bit thinking about what Philip did here. See, we immediately see people as what they are, not who they are. And I wanna replace that statement with this. We should see people not just for who they are, but who they need. I don't wanna just see people for who they are. Now, now we're going layers below here because first we start off just what they are, all right? We're putting them into categories, just like Philip did. Ethiopian, rich guy, he was a eunuch. I don't understand that, but I'm gonna put these categories on them. We don't, we, we go beyond that, see them for who they are, get to know them a little bit, get up in the carriage, sit next to them, to them have a relationship with them. And beyond that, we need to identify them for who they need and they need Jesus. They need Jesus in their lives. There's one of my favorite passages in scripture. A guy named Paul writes, it's in Galatians chapter five. I'm gonna drink water because this passage gets me fired up, excuse me. It talks about the life that we're rescuing people from. I think sometimes we forget. If you've been around the church for a while, if you know Jesus, you know you've got that safety net. There are people in your life that have no idea who he is, no idea the safety net of love, no idea that they have a heavenly father on Father's Day. So we need to keep in mind what we're rescuing people from, but also we need to know that sometimes we fall backwards too. 
I may read this scripture and you may see yourself in it as much as you see anyone else, but let's read this together. Galatians 5, 19, follow along on the screens. Paul writes this, it is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. Paul says, I could go on. Guys, we have lived that life. We have lived that picture that Paul writes, but we also know that there is a savior that pulls us out of that. But not everybody knows that. I'm gonna put some of the words up here that we just read. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, mental and emotional garbage, joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, loneliness, competition, temper, divided homes, lopsided pursuits, depersonalizing everyone into a rival, addictions, parodies of community. Leave this up here for a while, for a while. guys. This, these words on the screen may be a mirror for some of you. Some of you may be living the life right now and you're going, man, loneliness? You know my Father's Day plans? I got none, I'm going home. Some of you may look up here and you see something like addiction. You say, I'm living that. Alcohol, pornography, gossip, man, these things have a hold in my life and, and my day revolves around my addictions. Parodies of community, <laughs> I've lived that one. I have buddies, people to watch the game with, but not like deep, intimate relationships. Cheap sex, divided homes, a temper, repetitive life. This may be a mirror for you. So I wanna tell you this, I wanna go back to our mission statement. Help people discover Jesus and follow him fearlessly. If you follow Jesus, you are walking away from this. If you follow after him, he is taking you away from these things that bring hurt, taking you away from these things with bring pain, that bring pain. If I follow him fearlessly, he will uproot all of this mess in my life and bring me freedom and joy and consistency and exuberance and, and, a, and a hold on life that I've never had before. Maybe that's you. But if it's not you, I can promise you it's somebody else in your life. If it's not you, I, I, I'm in a season I'm doing pretty well, but I gotta surround myself. There better be people in your life that you would describe with these words. And you better say, hey, I've got somebody that can pull you away from this mess. I know someone that if you follow fearlessly after him, he will draw you away from all of this pain. And that's exactly, exactly what Paul talks about when he closes out this scripture. In Galatians chapter five, Verses 22 and 23 says this, but what happens when we live God's way? You leave this, you start pursuing Jesus. He brings gifts into our lives, 
much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way through life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. That is the life that Jesus offers. So we talk about our mission statement, fearlessly. Help people follow Jesus fearlessly. Find him and follow him fearlessly. What's this got to do with Philip and the Ethiopian? Philip was different than the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip was very different from him. Ethiopian was black. Uh, Philip was um, a Jewish guy from Jerusalem. That's like being a white guy in Colorado Springs. Um, Philip, um, Philip was a pastor. Um, we don't know much about Philip's sexuality and we have this key that, that the eunuch was castrated. We, we don't know that about Philip so he wasn't a eunuch himself. Um, I'm not sure what that would mean but I do know this in first century Jerusalem a eunuch uh, was not allowed in the temple. If you were Jew and you were a eunuch, it was a bad thing. So Philip was raised up in a culture that looked down on eunuchs. Don't sit next to him. Don't talk to him. He's not allowed to come into our neighborhood. So Philip was probably majority race, talking to a very dark-skinned guy. Philip was talking to a guy that he had been taught to not be around. I like this one too, y'all. Uh, (laughs) Philip was a traveling preacher, surfing couches. It was intimidating to tap on that carriage window. Rich guy up in the carriage. Philip didn't have money, but he crossed that line anyway. He's like, hey man, this sounds weird. I wanna talk to you. What are you reading? What are you reading there? Philip approached him anyway. See, here's what I wanna talk about. Philip stepped out of his bubble. The movement will burst your bubble and and Philip stepped out of his. You guys remember in... um, in 2020, the NBA bubble. Do you, do you remember this thing they did? Like, they were most of the way through the season. There are 30 teams um, in the NBA. 22 of them uh, hadn't finished out the season yet. We're finishing off playoffs. So they built this bubble down in Florida, in Disney World, and they were trying to protect everybody from COVID. So it was a $190 million project, all right, to, to make sure everybody was like isolated from the world. So they, they tested everyone back and forth when they were coming in. They made sure nobody had COVID. I mean, they, from staff to family, everybody, like they were on top of it making sure. And I remember when I was thinking about bursting your bubble, I was like, remember the NBA bubble? And I thought there's no way that that worked. Like there's no way they, that, that they protected everybody from COVID. Here's, I was shocked to learn this. It worked. Nobody got COVID. Like everybody was fine. Nobody got COVID through all of that mess. They, the, the NBA bubble worked. So I'm telling you, the bubble works. The bubble will keep you safe. You won't get COVID. You won't get sick. The, the bubble will keep you from getting hurt. But did you hear what I said? There are 30 teams in the NBA and only 22 made it into the bubble. Do you know what they called the eight teams that didn't make it into the bubble? The delete eight. Hear me, guys. Jesus does not want a bubble around you. <laughs> he, don't want, he didn't want anybody deleted. 
He wants no one to leave. When he talks about his kingdom, he doesn't want anybody for God. He doesn't want anyone deleted. You can say, let me put the bubble, keep myself safe. I don't want to put myself at risk. And he goes, no, 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 no. The movement bursts your bubble. I don't want anyone deleted in my kingdom. You got to burst that thing. You got to cross some lines of discomfort. I don't know what that line is for you, but you have to cross some lines of discomfort. And this is what I want to say to you. What you don't know can't hurt you. What you don't know can't, I, we don't know about someone different than us. We don't know uh, about people that live, grew up differently than me. And, and we spend time, so much time avoiding them. I'm just gonna say, what you don't know can't hurt you. How we usually use that phrase, what you don't know can't hurt you. You know, it's usually about keeping secrets. Um, last Easter, my, we, or no, this Easter, a few months ago, we had a bunch of people over to the house and uh, my wife spent all day cooking. And um, I, right before everybody got there, I was moving the mashed potatoes. They were in one of those disposable um, aluminum pans and it folded and they all just fell on the floor, all the mashed potatoes. And I thought, well, what they don't know can't hurt them. All right, so <laughs> I got on the floor <laughs> and I scraped off the layer put it back in the pan and like, I left a little thin layer of taters to, you know, kind of disguise it. But uh, <laughs> Taylor, you had floor taters that day. <laughs> what you don't know can't hurt you, Taylor. Uh, but I want, I want that to become a mantra for, for us. Hey, I may not know it, I may not understand it, but I'm not gonna avoid it. I'm gonna jump in there anyway. But there are fears associated with that. First, there's the fear of saying the wrong thing. <laughs> I live with one foot in my mouth, all right? Um, I had a mutual friend of mine, um, had a, a transgender friend who's a believer, and I said, can I just take you out to lunch? I wanna buy your lunch. I wanna pick your brain. Um, man, in that conversation, I was just trying to grow and learn, and I said a lot of things wrong. Um, I, I, I said a lot of things wrong. At the end of the conversation, I said, this guy's become a buddy of mine now, but I said at the end of it, hey, give me a score, all right? How'd I do? One to 10, how'd I do? And he said, I don't know, seven and a half or eight. And I said, you know, for a middle-aged white boy from Kentucky, I think we grade on a curve, all right? Like, <laughs> I think I did, I think I did okay. Fear of saying the wrong thing, get over it. Get over it. There's also the fear of being misunderstood. I was at a dinner this week, sitting with a black guy. And I made a comment, naive, um, not about race at all. In my mind, I wasn't talking about race, but I, I said something I shouldn't have said. And, I had a, and when I said it, this, this black guy at the table kind of winced. I had a good friend of mine come to me and say, I think you need to make that right. And I tell you, every instinct in me went, that's not what I meant. I didn't mean it that way. Hey, you're misunderstanding me. You know my heart. You know what I did instead? Went and apologized to the guy. I said, man, I'm sorry. I didn't try to be understood. I tried to understand. I said, I'm really sorry. I, I used that phrase and I, I, I didn't even realize that would be hurtful to you. And he said, hey, it's okay. Thanks for being a bigger man and coming and apologizing. We have this fear of being mis misunderstood. Get over it. Just try to understand. We have a fear of being marginalized. If you get around people that are different than you, you might stick out. 
all right? You may be the mom in the room that, that has to thrift her way like at Goodwill to get her kids clothes and, and you don't wanna be that mom in the, in the midst of a bunch of moms who own vacation houses in Vail and you just go, ah, I'm not gonna cross that line. I don't wanna be around people different than me. It's, it's amazing to me, even as grown men, how many people say, man, I'm, I'm into Star Wars and Marvel and I'm just, I don't like being around the jocks. I'm like, get over it. Get over that. I don't want to be the white spot in a sea of brown, or I don't want to be the brown spot in a, in a sea of white. So, so we just don't cross those lines. We don't get around people different than us because we're afraid we might stick out. We might be the one marginalized. So let me stay around people like me. We distance those who are different. I'm going to ask you if you see yourself in that at all. Do you distance those that are different than you? We build our houses around people like us. We join groups with people that look like us. I let one of the, <laughs> one of the best is out here in this lobby every Sunday. I mean, we huddle up around people that we know, people that understand us, people that we don't have to defend ourselves to. And I would just tell you, man, go nuts out there. Find somebody who does not look like you. Find somebody who's different. I love this poem by Morgan Harper Nichols. Let me hold the door for you. I may have never walked in your shoes, but I can see your souls are worn, your strength is torn under the weight of a story I have never lived before. Let me hold the door for you. After all you've walked through, it's the least I can do. We need to be about opening up those doors. As a church, as a church, as a people, as an individual, you need to be all about opening up those doors. You need to step into somebody else's shoes. I mean, I can sit over here, y'all, and these boots I'm wearing, these are, uh, these are my favorite boots. Most people have not seen me in any other shoes. Um, somebody's out there laughing at me. Um, I bought these as a present to myself. I don't normally buy myself presents, but I did. Um, and I don't know if you've ever bought a really nice pair of leather boots. Somebody asked me the other day, these things just start formed. I mean, they fit, they feel right. Uh, somebody asked me if they're comfy. I was like, it is like putting my foot in a warm vat of butter every morning. <laughs> so if you can picture that, that's, that's what these boots are like for me. I tell you what, I'm comfortable in these boots. Wear them every day. I need to get comfortable stepping out of them. I need to get comfortable walking through a door and holding the door open and getting to know somebody else's shoes. I mean, this, this, I, this is the true story. I, uh, I met a gal dressed in all black. She, she was real goth. I just do it because I'm getting chubby. Um, <laughs> she was dressed in all black. She told me she was polyamorous, really, really friendly. Man, be really easy to just shut that door. And, and I'm not making a joke here. If you're gonna interact with somebody different than you, I, don't laugh at this. I, I had to Google what polyamorous meant to understand even how to engage with this gal. Because I'm old and I'm becoming irrelevant and I just had to step out of my comfort zone. This is where I'm comfortable, but I'm gonna go over here, open up the door and get to know this one a little bit more. I think we do this with our neighbors. <laughs> you know those neighbors that you just never talk to? 
Maybe they're different. Maybe they, I'm not always, this is not a message about race, y'all. I'm, I'm talking like, I got a neighbor who their house is like eight or nine cars parked in front all the time. It's like a revolving door. So I step out of my, and, and frankly, it's annoying to me, but I step out of my comfort zone, walk across the street, get to know them a little bit. They're just struggling to pay the bills. I got a bunch of young friends that are paying them a little bit every month to surf on the couch. I go, I can relate to that. I can certainly relate to that. So let me get to know your story a little bit more. Let me hold the door open for you. And hopefully one day I can show them what fearlessly following Jesus is all about. I, <laughs> this was not in my manuscript. You might need to leave your comfort zone and call your dad today. Get to know your dad a little bit more. Man, I, I can get real comfortable over here and just lock some people out. Maybe you're locking out your mom or your dad or a family member and you're different from them and you grew up with them, which gives you more reason to be mad at them for being different than you, but you may need to leave your comfort zone, walk over here, open the door and then extend an invitation for a conversation. Step out of your shoes, burst that bubble and let a conversation happen. I'm gonna close with the best example of this I could possibly give. It would be nonsensical for me to not read this passage to you. The best example of somebody coming, crossing a threshold of being different with good news is Jesus. In Philippians chapter two, he says, it says this, though he was God, meaning Jesus, though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. He didn't just move this way to this way, y'all. He came down. I can say we're different, but we're equals. He was above us. He was exalted on high and he came down to bridge the gap. Guys, we gotta keep bridging the gap between one another. Jesus died on the cross so that we could bridge the gap between one another and show the world that he loves them. He cares about them. And there is an exuberance of life that he has planned for each and every one of us if we will close the gap. We distance those who are different, run to close the gap. It's the last thing I want you to hear. And I want you to hear it in the context of scripture. Acts 8, I read it already in verse 29. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Next two words, Philip ran. I think this, I think this whole story in scripture is to teach us that we need to run after people different than us. It's a great conversion story. But really, I think the highlight of it is that Philip was told to walk and Philip ran to somebody that was very different than him. So why don't you stand up and I want to do a decisions time. Stand up right now. Um, we do this every week and, and, and I want to start with this decision. For some of you all, um, you may not know Jesus. Some of you all may have seen your life in a mirror on that screen and you don't know the joy and the peace that he offers you. 
So I want to extend that invitation for you to accept Jesus in your heart. There's some of you I might imagine today that have put a bubble around your life to keep Jesus out. The church has hurt you or someone has wounded you. I, I quickly always wanna say, I'm so sorry. On behalf of the church, I'm sorry if, if we cause that bubble in your life. But I wanna challenge you to accept Christ as your savior today. So everybody close your eyes and bow your heads. We're gonna start with that decision first. If you wanna pursue Jesus and invite him into your heart for the very first time today, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. <laughs> Love it. Put your hands down. We'll have a prayer team up front if you wanna talk about that. Um, but I also wanna extend an invitation for a decision for the rest of us too, whether we're following Jesus or not. Some of us have created a bubble to keep certain people out. And we're gonna do eyes closed and heads bowed again, but if there's an individual, maybe he has a name, maybe she has a name that you're keeping out and you, you feel convicted today that you need to burst your bubble and approach them. I'm gonna count to three in a second. I want you to raise your hand, but not just individuals. Some of us are keeping out groups of people. Maybe it's because of their decisions. Maybe it's because of the color of their skin. Maybe some of us have built a bubble around us because politically they believe different than us and we don't want them coming in our bubble. So if you wanna make a commitment to burst the bubble, either for an individual or a group of individuals today, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Mm. A lot of hands going up. Put your hands down. Holy Spirit, that is convicting you there, and I'm gonna let the Holy Spirit does what he does, but let's pray together, and we'll worship one more song with the band. Can't wait for it. God, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for uh, Acts chapter eight. I thank you for Juneteenth, and although we as a country haven't figured out racism, I'm, I'm thankful that we have a mile marker um, that we can celebrate. Um, God, I pray that as we're wrestling through these decisions we just made. Um, remind us, Holy Spirit, that we don't have to have it figured out tomorrow, but we can get better today. And I pray that as a church, we don't exist in bubbles. We live fearlessly, dangerously, in hot pursuit of you. We love you, God, and thank you for today. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for weekly recordings of Sunday service and follow us on Spotify and Apple Music for weekly audio recordings and podcasts.